dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic. This is Tyler Burns. Of course, I'm your host. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BurnsClan. Please follow at your own risk. And this week, we have something special for you. This past June, The Witness was honored to host so many incredible justice-minded speakers at this year's Joy and Justice Conference, where the theme is Rise Up and Flourish. And our good friend, Faith Brooks of the Melanated Faith Podcast, graciously stepped in to take a few minutes backstage with each of these presenters. They shared their testimonies and discussed what it truly means to rise up and flourish in our time. This week, we've got conversations with Robert Monson, our sister, Ekemeni Uwan, but first, our very own Bria Perry, who hosted the entire Joy and Justice Conference and did an amazing job, by the way. She sits down with Faith to discuss the conference and the importance of why we celebrate joy in the midst of our work towards justice. So without further ado, let's kick it to Bria and Faith backstage at Joy and Justice 2023. Hello. Hello. So the theme of our conference, as you know, um, is Rise Up and Flourish. When you hear these words, what comes to your mind? When I think of flourishing, I think of peace. I think of being at like a place and space where, you know, things are just good. You, you're rested, you're calm. Mm-hmm. And that's what I really think. I think of like, I'm thriving, like I'm doing really well. Like that's what those words like really, you know, ring out to me whenever I hear them. That's good. I love that. Peace that surpasses all understanding. That's right. Amen. So what do you, why do you believe that gatherings like this, like what we're doing with the conference, is crucial specifically for black people, black Christians, but black people in general? Because we need community. Mm. We need each other. And we all are living and working out in a world where it's not, we're not just with black folks, right? Like we're with a myriad of different people from different cultures, different ethnicities. And um, we also need a break from white supremacy. Let's just be honest. That's right. Okay. So having this communal space to be able to get encouraged, get filled up and poured into, then to go back out and do the work that we're doing, it's so important. And so I just think that whenever I'm able to gather with my family, with my community, mm. it just brings me so much joy. Absolutely. And it's just, it's a safer space where you feel like you can just say whatever's on your mind. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's, I, I feel that so deeply. So what have you learned just in the past three years and how has it changed your approach to life? You know, the past three years have been wild. I'm sure a lot of us could attest to that. I would say that. Like, wow, this has been a lot. Absolutely. But I would say that something I've learned in the past three years is that your grief and your pain do not define you. Mm. Um, I was just having a conversation with Reverend Love and he was talking about with grief, it's not, it's something that you can just, you know, you feel, you feel the emotions, you're, you can be saddened, you make space for that, but also like it passes through. 
Mm. It doesn't last forever. The pain does not last forever. Mm. And I've learned that. I've learned that through hard times and challenges, the pain that I might feel today is not going to sting the same way Mm. it might feel in a few years from now, especially if I'm doing the work to heal and I'm doing the work to acknowledge my feelings and to grow through those things. And so I've just learned that healing takes time. Mm. I have to be a willing participant in my own journey to heal and um, that I can still have joy in the midst of hardship. You can have that, like that grief and joy and hope. They all can coexist as you continue to push forward in life. So those are some of my main lessons that I've learned the past three years. That's good. It reminds me of when you're talking about healing and how it takes time to heal. Last night, um, Jamar was talking about he had his talk called uh, Our Sacred Scars. And he was well, he was actually quoting Tyler um, in this when he said that um, we speak from our our scars and not, you know, the open wounds. And it's that I think that connects to when it when you say mm-hmm. that it takes time to heal because you don't want to tell your story when it's still when the wounds are still open. You want right. to have healed a little bit. And of course you're gonna still be healing and it's always gonna be a process. We're never fully healed. Um, it's always a process. But I think that what you're saying is key when it comes to spaces like this and community. It's like this this community is what we need to heal from those those wounds. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's really good. I yeah. So um, I know that you are a writer. You have a book. You have a podcast. Um, so in all of the work that you do, and I'm sure you do so much more that I haven't named, um, what is your process for maintaining joy in all of that? You know, I think it's I have to create space where um, I can be and I'm not just doing. Mm. Um, whenever you're trying to create or like do something new, it's really hard to get in the zone of creating if you're in the state of doing. Mm-hmm. Because in order to get to that creative mindset and that frame where you can just think and process and dream about something else you might want to do or think of a creative aspect to you know a project you want to work on, you have to be in quiet and stillness or you have to be in a place to where you can just calm your mind and just rest. And so I think for me, I try to find those moments where I can just be, which that's a little bit harder for me these days with the busier I've gotten. Mm. But I have found that if I can make that space, it's going to bring life and joy and energy into my work. And that's really what I want in order to continue to sustain myself and to also um, continue to have like a healthy outlook on life and work, you know. So those are some of the things that I would say I like to do to maintain joy and just be around good people. I'm a people person. So like people that bring me life and joy and good energy, then like I want to be around those people because that keeps me pumped up for the work. Absolutely. That reminds me again of something else that was said last night with uh Danny Coke's talk, Danielle Coke of of oh, of oh happy Danny on on Instagram, and she's one of her major points was do less and dream more. Yeah, and I just love what she said because it's like when you can take time to just be and not do, then you have the time to dream. You That's have right. the time to um, be creative in that way and. That's just so key in in continuing. I think especially as we're doing justice work um, and talking about, we'll talk about later, um, just living freely as a black woman with all of the opposition that's against us. Be just just being able to be is like the most significant thing. It feels like Mm -hmm. so. That's major keys. Major keys. Major keys. (laughs) 
Um, so the past few years have led to a lot of uh, an increase in justice conversations in the church and in the culture. Are these conversations missing anything that you believe should be added? There's been so many great different answers um, that people have said. And I've been like, wow, that's so like profound. That's amazing. <laughs> um, so it's hard for me to think after hearing all these other things, like what else could be added? But I do think the thing that I would say is that the work is not finished. Mm. Um, and I think that's a big part of the conversation. Because sometimes I think we get to a point to where we say, oh, well, we've done this, we've tried this, you know, we've marched, we've done these campaigns, we've done all these other things, I think we're good. We're not good. And things we're not free yet. Exactly. <laughs> so there's still more work to be done. And I think sometimes we can lose energy and creativity and momentum in how to address racism within the church um, and how to have these conversations about justice because people want something that feels instantaneous. People want something that feels like gratifying, like I, you know, I did one thing and then that's going to fix all the problems. And that's just not the case. And so I think if anything, something that needs to be addressed in the conversation is our stamina for justice and change. What does that look like? And how are we preparing and equipping people um, to be able to do the work long term, to be a part of the work of pursuing justice for the long haul, not just for a short sprint. I think we're losing people in the conversation and in the work because they're trying to sprint um, when it comes to change and um, instead of being really dedicated and committed to the long-term um, justice work. Mm, it's a marathon. That's, That's right. right. Yeah. That's right. It That's is. Good. I hear that all the time and it's, it's really great to be reminded because I think even as people who um, who do do this work, it's like you still have to be reminded that if you don't win your campaign for justice for something right. in your city in six months, it's like you're in it for the long haul. Like this is this is going to take a while and you just have to keep, keep up going. the stamina, keep going. And um, I mean, I think that's why I love uh, this conference, because we're talking about joy and justice and we need joy to sustain the marathon for justice. That's right. We will get depleted so fast. And that's right and uh, burn out from the work so quickly. Yeah, we have to find the joy. We can't live in a constant state of rage. Not it just will not solve anything. Mm. And so we have to let that joy rise to the surface for us. Mm. So we have the endurance that we need to keep going. And joy is a big part of that, a really big component of that. Yeah. Joyful resistance. That's right. Yeah, that's so good. Uh, what does it mean for black people to truly flourish in the world that we live in? You know, when I think of like flourishing, I think of freedom, I think of laughter, and I just see when I think of black people flourishing, it's like being able to exist within the world without fear. Mm. Without fear of death, without fear, you know, of like walking down the street or doing something within their homes, just complete an utter freedom to just live wholly mm. and simply. And sometimes I think people think that black people are asking for a lot. Like, oh, y'all want equality. It's too much. It's not too much to want to exist and live in this world freely without fear of death. Mm. It is not too much. Mm. And so I that. think that um, for me to see us flourishing, it's having access to that level of freedom where we are not worried. Wow, that's so good. I, I often think about um, when we know the names. I mean, we can name 
so many names of, of those who have been murdered through state-sanctioned violence and um, you know, police brutality and all these other, other things. And I just, I always think about the fact that we should not know these people's names. They should just be able to live their, their free black life. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're fighting for. It's like these people um, that we know that became hashtags, it's like they were just trying to live. That's right. Um, and so, yeah, flourishing just means us getting to live as who we are. And if we become a significant person in another way, that's amazing. But a lot of us just want to live that's right. our regular life. That's right. That's what we're fighting for. Like you said, it's not too much. That's right. At all. That's so good. Um, so last question for you. Who do you feel like has been instrumental in your journey to rising up and flourishing? Goodness, there's so many different people, but of course my mom is going to be the top person. Of course, got a name mama. Yeah, (laughs) I would say my mom, just because she is a praying woman, Mm -hmm. she has been um, so instrumental in my personal growth and development. But also just like my faith, you know, the inspiration she's provided me um, to continue to press forward and believe that like God is going to do, God's going to do it. He's going to do it. You know what I mean? What he said he would do. Yeah. So um, I would say that my mom has been a real big inspiration for me to continue to press forward, to continue in this work and to be steadfast and hold true to my faith. And so, um, you know, shout out to all the mamas. Yes. Shout out to all the the black mamas. I mean, mamas in general, but black mamas, especially. That's right. Praying mamas. Praying mamas. Praying mamas. Praying grandmothers. I'm a product of a praying grandmother. That's right. Praying mama. Praying aunties. All of them. So that's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Faith. Thank you. This has been fun. (laughs) Yes. Welcome to the Pass the Mic podcast. This is a special edition at the Joy and Justice Conference, powered by The Witness, a Black Christian collective. And I'm here today with my friend and our special guest, Robert Monson. Robert, so our theme this year is Rise Up and Flourish. So when you hear that, what comes to mind for you? What does that mean for you? Yeah, I think for me, when I'm thinking about flourishing, I think of two distinct aspects. How can we flourish as a community, especially I'm black, blackity black. So (laughs) how can black people and black communities, men and women flourish? And then individually, as both a physical being and a spiritual being, what things can I do to help my myself flourish? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. I think oftentimes when I um, like am thinking of flourishing, even though I really don't have a green thumb, so I'm going to tell you that right now. Okay. I think of like beautiful plants. I think True. about like being in season and how like you begin to cultivate your garden, and mm. then you might not see all of the work right in the beginning but eventually you do see your plants flourish yeah that's not my gift you know so my plants i got fake plants and a few real ones but rolling (laughs) on that imagery i would say part of the flourishing with the plants is removing the barriers to that plant growing right yeah so it's yeah there's a there's a dual purpose there yeah that's deep and we have so much more to talk about (laughs) so we're gonna have to just keep it rolling but i love that hey thank you Robert, we have talked about this. Is there a place and space for us as a collective and a community where we can feel seen, heard, and valued? Why do you think 
these kind of spaces for black folks in particular yeah. are important or needed? Yeah, I, I think they're important because we need a place where we don't have to perform, where we don't have to code switch, where we're not expected to be resilient, and where we, do, where we can be raw and honest. And I think what's hard in many spaces, whether it's our work uh, in different cities, is we do have to change a bit of who we are in order to make others happy, right? And so these type of gatherings are important because we get to just be blackity black, talk about some things that are only inside talk, that we right. couldn't Family have in, yeah that we couldn't have a mixed company and i also think they're important for a calling in right That's so right. before we call someone out we need to have a calling in in right. family time right so yeah I love it. What I love is that this is like my first time meeting a lot of people in person, True. but we've been talking online for years. Yeah, yeah. And so I feel like it's also like so great to be able to like celebrate, share space with each other. Yeah. And interestingly enough, because of the internet, I don't know how this happens. When you really vibe with a person online, it's highly likely you might be cool in person. Yeah. So far, it's so far, 100%. It's of all the people that I've met online and met them in person, it's great. Very good. This yeah. is our first time meeting in person, but yeah. I feel like I feel really great about it. Yeah. You know? Hey. So, Robert, we've had a very interesting last few years. Interesting is a word for it, friend. You know? <laughs> um, so, what do you think you've learned and gained over the past three years of life? What's some wisdom, some things that you just feel, um, some lessons in life that feel, you know, like they're important that rise to the top for you? Yeah, I think the thing that I have to name in the past three years is the pandemic, right? And the first lesson is probably how to come through trauma and remain intact spiritually, right? right. Uh, many, the globe went through this massive traumatic event, right? And many of us are still healing, relearning mm. how do we operate with grief that's still present, right? For many people, they lost a lot in this pandemic. And so I learned a different type of resilience that that actually is rooted in something I talk about all the time, which is softness. Mm. And for the majority of the pandemic, I have been alone and just in a house and a space by myself and learning how to be soft with myself, mm -hmm. learning how to enjoy the pleasure of my own company, yeah. learning how to connect with others digitally because I could not gather with them physically. Right? Mm -hmm. So that's what I would say. And it's so interesting because I feel like the past three years have been like fast and slow at the yes, same time. That's a perfect way to say it. Yeah. Because so much happened and changed in so many of our lives. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, we spent a good year at a standstill. Mm -hmm. Plus, plus. Yeah. But, you know, a year for sure when everybody and everything was slowing down and shut down. Mm -hmm. When you could drive and the streets were empty because nobody yeah. was out. Yeah. And so I just think that when we like evaluate the past three years, I feel like there's so many different things that rise to the surface, but I love that what came up for you is that tenderness and that softness. Mm -hmm. Because more than anything, I think I've found over the past few years, you have to have that grace for yourself mm -hmm. and, and patience yeah. because a lot of things, we're moving so quickly. Yes. 
when you go from moving really fast to like moving a lot slower, like your expectations for yourself even shift. And yeah. so I love that that's what you came out of it with yeah. and reflecting on. Yeah, thank you. What is your process for cultivating joy? What does that look like for you? What's the way you do that? I, so for me, and this will seem kind of backward <laughs> because, uh, the way that I cultivate joy is by going to the depths of grief and sadness. Mm. So I, I have been around and embedded in spiritual spaces that try to force the joy and block out this, the sadness, the grief, the things that we bear every day. But for me, I spend time every day really sitting with what things uh, ail me. What the, you know, I think mm. of this uh, verse in Genesis where God asks Hagar, what ails you? Mm-hmm. And so taking inventory every morning. So I wake up at four o'clock, 4.30 in the morning and, I, and, uh, and really take note of that. And I mm. sit, usually I put on piano instrumentals and I sit with those things that are painful. Mm. And usually by the end of that, I take time to reflect on where am I in life. And so I get I usually get to the joy usually, yeah. but I start with the the pain points for me. Mm. Yeah. You know what? Most people do not say that. Mm. But I will have to say after experiencing like hardship and some losses, I've learned that in order for me to have happiness, yeah. to feel a sense of joy and peace in my own life, I must make room to feel those sad feelings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't stuff them in yeah. because eventually it will stifle my joy. Yes. Yeah. And I make time throughout the day. You know, I have this moniker of Robert the Contemplative, but, but part of it is I do spend time every day reflecting on where I came from. Mm. And I have had a lot of pain points in my life, right? And I think about where I came from and to be sitting here is so strange to me. Like mm. I grew up as an atheist, so I didn't think I would be at this Joy and Justice conference if you'd asked me, <laughs> you know, two decades ago would I be here? No, but but that makes me grateful, right? Yeah. That, that I'm here, that I, I have this budding friendship with you, I wouldn't have had that 20, 30 years ago. Right. Right. And with that, when you think about the, like, we're talking about being contemplative, we're talking about joy and all these other aspects, there's also this other part of our work, which is justice. And um, as people who live within, like, the justice space, Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot more conversations that have been happening, especially over the past few years, about Mm -hmm. justice. What does it mean? What does it look like? How are people living that out? Mm -hmm. And so for you, what would you say you feel is missing from the justice conversation? Okay, how much time we got? How much How much do we open in the scrolls for this one? (laughs) Uh, Will I get canceled? (laughs) <laughs> we will not cancel you. Yeah. Okay. It's it's the white supremacy for me. Yeah. I we can have these ethereal conversations about justice that make our minds tingle, that do something to our emotions. But if we're not confronting the white supremacy part, mm-hmm. what are we talking about? It's true. Like we could even talk about police brutality, but it's the what has helped this system of policing grow into the monster that we are experiencing? Right. It's the white supremacy part. Right. 
as we're looking at the January 6th rioters and some are shocked, I wasn't shocked, what is empowering them to do what they're doing in the name of God? Right. It's the white supremacy part. So right. all these DEI initiatives uh, that many of them have closed down, they started and they fell within, you know, within two years. They committed and, <laughs> and, and stopped. Right, and decommitted. Right, and then... We have you, people posted these black squares, you know, two years ago oh, man. in their commitment to not silence uh, black people. <laughs> I <laughs> shouldn't laugh, but it's yeah, just... <laughs> the white supremacy is still in the building. So how do we approach it theologically? How do we approach it sociologically? Mm-hmm. Right. As, as people, what is our answer to white supremacy is what I would say. Yeah. And I feel like over the years, we have yet to still get down to the root of that issue. We haven't. We haven't, we haven't. broached it. We, it's awkward to talk about. It makes people feel uncomfortable, particularly white people. Still. And, yeah. and that's sad to me because white supremacy hurts us all because white people are beloved of God too. They're right. made in the image. But we have to conquer this thing on American soil at least. Yeah. That's true. Mm-hmm. We do. Yeah. So what does it mean for black people, for you, to truly flourish in your life? Like, what does that look like for you? That's a painful question because the bar seems so low, Mm. especially being a black man. I would love to be able to walk out the door and not fear for my safety, Mm. right? I would love to drive at night and not feel afraid. Uh, The death of Elijah McClain in Colorado really affected me deeply. And to this day, I feel anxiety driving at night. And so part of me flourishing is the removal of those things that cause me fear, that cause me anxiety, right? Uh, And, you know, so that's step one. Step two is being given the space and the ability to address those things that affect black men, right? Mm -hmm. And have our own spaces of refuge where not the misogynistic ones, right? (laughs) Right. Right. Because there are spaces, um, but but ones that are rooted in an ethic of liberation and softness, right? So I love that, which was really kind of like the answer to the next question, which I was going to ask, which is about what does it look like for our community as a whole to flourish? And you just touched on that. Yeah. Um, So... My last question that I'll ask you then is, um, who is somebody in your life that has been influential um, in you first flourishing your own personal life? Like that has been, yeah, just a really a key individual in your life that has been very helpful in this season. This season, right? Because I saw uh, I saw a so buffet many, of names, right? Yeah. I would say, well, I'm gonna sneak to it. Um, <laughs> Bell Hooks, rest in peace. Uh, has taught me so much about the man Mm. that I want to become and that I am becoming, right? Mm -hmm. Her work, her essays, uh, they have been life to me. And the other person I would shout out is Sharifa Stevens, a friend uh, to the room. I think the way that her and her husband and her children really gathered me in over over the past two years has meant everything to me, right? Mm-hmm. And they've fed me, they've given me money, 
they've laughed with me, cried with me. And yeah, Sharifa has done so much to lift me up right in the season. So yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Good community is so yeah, important, right? Truly. Yeah. Robert, you are an absolute joy and delight oh, to talk to. You. Yeah. Um, where can people find you, find your work, and learn more about you? Um, you will not find me over on most of the socials. Don't look for me. <laughs> Robert is famous on Twitter, though, y'all. Famous. Uh, not Facebook. Uh, <laughs> no. But Twitter, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, I have a lot of activity there. I write for The Witness. Um, hey. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out. Uh, I write uh, an article, a column on non-toxic masculinity. And then lastly, I have uh, a Substack newsletter called Musings from a Broken Heart. So that's it. And a podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Three Black Men podcast and Black Coffee and Theology podcast. I host both. So, yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, friend. Hey, family, this is Tyler Burns, host of Pass the Mic, and I am so grateful to each one of you for listening and supporting the work that we do here at The Witness and on this podcast. And I want to encourage you, if you have been blessed by anything we have said, if you have been encouraged, if you've shared the episode, thank you. But you can take your support a step further and you can support us on Patreon.com, Patreon.com slash Pass the Mic for just $1 an episode. That's it. So that's like $4 a month. That's one cup of coffee per month. That's super easy, super simple, and you can keep this work going. We're 10 years in and we want to do another 10 and we need your help. Patreon.com slash pass the mic. We appreciate those of you who are patrons and we appreciate those of you who are going to support. My name is Faith Brooks. I am your host, and I'm here with my dear friend, Akimini Uan, and we are going to have a great time. Yes, we are. <laughs> okay, so we have a lot to talk about, but one question that I just want to say to you today, this is our theme, it's Rise Up and Flourish, yes. as you know. Um, what does that mean to you? What is like What stands out to you when you think of like rising up and flourishing in your own life? Yeah. Just tell me more. I mean, honestly, when I hear rise up, I think, rise up, rise up. <laughs> I literally just think that that's all. But besides, that's not what, you know, I'm being serious. No, <laughs> when I think about rising up and flourishing, I think about the redemption that we have in Christ, the restoration that we have in Christ, and the fact that Christ is our liberator. Um, and in order to rise up, that means that you must have fallen, that's, right? That's the truth. Or, or you've been um, suppressed, oppressed. Um, uh, or have been held down yeah. for some time. Um, but now you have the stamina, you have the resilience, you have the strength mm -hmm. um, by the power you know, of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to rise up right, mm. and to flourish in the ways that God had always intended for us to flourish that's right. in the beginning. That's so that's what it makes me think of. And that's why I love it because it's very hopeful. 
I love that too. And you know what? What also makes me really excited is getting together with our people, with black people. Why do you feel like these spaces are so important and crucial to our community? Getting together. Yeah, well, you know, I'm very pro black. I know. You know, I really do believe in affinity spaces. It's so important um, as a minoritized people to be able to have spaces, uh, several spaces, by the way, Mm -hmm. to gather. Um, and to draw strength and uh, joy and power and love um, and just uh, renew our collective commitment to one another yeah. before we're dispersed you know, mm-hmm. out into the world in our various places um, that we're called to, where we work at, where we worship at, wherever you know, yeah. um, God has you know, called us to be. Uh, at least we have the, the fuel you know, to right. keep going. I love that. I do feel very, very energized when I am with my community. Absolutely. I feel like renewed. I feel strengthened. I feel like I'm just, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to get back out there. You can take anything. You You can handle anything. But we've had quite a few years where it has been... Not as much interaction, not as yes. much community over yes. the past three years. Yes. So would you say for you, like, tell us like a little bit about something you've learned, something that stood out to mm. you over the last three years? Oh, boy. Well. <laughs> You're like, many things. Oh, where do I start? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the pandemic has really shifted the ways in which we worship. Mm. Uh, and I think in some ways it has made the traditional ways that we worship prior to the pandemic feel optional, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I really believe that it's important for us to gather. Mm-hmm. I really do. I'm I'm an old school Christian like that. I was like, we need a pastor. We all need pastors. <laughs> Good, healthy community, yeah. health, healthy church communities yeah. where love abounds and community <laughs> run in tandem. Yeah. Um, I think that's really, really important. So if anything, I've just noticed, you know, where um, churches become very optional for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's great that there's online options because I think that it was an accessibility issue. Yeah. I think for our, um, our, our siblings that are disabled, yeah. you know, I think I'm so glad that they have a way to be included now. Because yeah. I don't think that, unfortunately, I don't think our churches have, are physical. Um, churches have always been accessible, right? You know, to them, and so I think that's great. But I, I um, so I guess I know you're asking me what I learned, but I'm like, I don't learn that people ain't going to church and people need to go to church. We really do. I, I think in some ways, I learned that we we are just um, we're just a lot of people are dealing with serious um, protracted loneliness, mm. and I really do think the cure <laughs> to that is. Mm good, healthy community that you can count on from Sunday to Sunday to know I'm going to get, at least I'm going to get a hug. That's right. At least somebody's going to greet me. That's right. At least somebody's going to say hi to me. I'm going to sit next to somebody. That's right. On the pew. And it means something to somebody, particularly when you live alone. Oh yeah. Right. Or particularly when you're, you live away from family that matters, which we know the the data shows that a lot of people, you know, live um, much further away from their family nowadays. Uh, We have the highest rates of um, just in in society as at large, these generations of millennials and see are not getting married, you know, at the same rates as say boomers had. Right. And so what does that mean, you know, to traverse this world um, as a single uh, who maybe lives by themselves and does not always um, get that type of, uh, 
interaction. That's right. You know, all the time. So, so anyway, I guess I, I've just learned in some ways, you know, I guess in the negatives, you know, the things that the pandemic has unearthed, you yeah. know, but I think that there's room um, for growth and change. And I think that's the perfect time backdrop for God to show right. up mightily and maybe stir up revival yeah. um, in the church and among uh, his people. I love that. Mm-hmm. You gave a good answer. <laughs> On a hit. She's a theologian, y'all. So that's how this, this is the good word that we are getting on today. On today. Okay. So, what is your method? What is your process hmm. for maintaining joy in the work that you do? My method and process in cultivating like joy? Maintaining your maintaining. joy. Yeah, maintaining joy. I have to work out. <laughs> this is true. You do do that. You know I don't play. You don't play. She knows me in real life, y'all. In and out of town. Five days a week. And do. And you do. And do. And you do. I'm not working out today. Oh, I, well, I'm not working out tomorrow because it's my rest day. The weekend is my rest day. Okay. But I work out Monday through Friday. <laughs> All right. Cool. 5 a.m. I don't play. That helps to cultivate joy for me. Okay. And, and maintain joy and okay. sanity. Okay. Sanity is important. All right. And so, <laughs> and so, so that's really important to me. Um, what also is very helpful. I am, I am a people person. So getting together with my people, seeing people, hosting mm-hmm. friends. That's I just right. had you at my place not that's too long right. ago. I really love gathering with my friends and family. I draw a lot of, um, um, strength and joy. Yes. Um, yeah, and I just too. I get, yeah. I get recharged. Yeah, you know, me too. in the presence of my friends, real friends, where I can just be myself. Yeah, um, and my family and my yeah. niecey poos. Yeah, I just get really recharged. Yeah. You know, yeah. from that, so that helps to cultivate joy and sustain joy. My spiritual disciplines mm-hmm. very important. So prayer, reading mm-hmm. the word. Uh, that's really important for me, yeah. you know, so maintaining those disciplines helps me <laughs> to reorient my mind, yes, you know, reframe yes. my thinking, yes. you know, um, and helps me to continue to keep my eyes, um, on Jesus, you know, um, who really is the author and perfecter of our faith. And, um, and he, he's hope personified, you yeah. know what I mean? So it's not some philosophical, um, um, construct like hope is a person, yeah. you know, and so by staying, you know, in God's presence and reading the word and listening to the word, you know, you know I love a sermon, a get good in, sermon. Get in the word you podcast. Know? Oh like yeah, get in the word. Get in the word. I do. I do hit play. I do actually listen to that okay. morning as I'm getting ready for the gym. Okay. <laughs> I hit that. I hit play on that. But yeah, that's helpful for me, and that's yeah. how I'm able to sustain joy and cultivate joy. That's right. Mm-hmm. And over the past few years. Um, when we talk about church, you talked a lot about the church, the, you know, the body, what's going on with it. Yes. There's a lot of conversations about justice that have happened. Yes, yes, yes. As you know, and you've been a part of and even uh-huh. led. Um, <laughs> is there anything from that conversation you feel like is missing? Ooh. Um, well, I, I, I talk about reparations a lot. Um yeah, well, you know, I wrote about this in the Truth Table book. Mm-hmm. Um, Truth Table, you know, Black Women's Musings on Life, Love, and Liberation. I wrote about colorism. That's right. You know, and how, uh, and, and that's a very big issue. It is. That, that impacts our people globally. That's Within true. the African diaspora, wherever we are, colorism shows up, you know, and it really has a s- significant systemic impact 
um, on, on dark skinned women. Right. And, and it maps onto men differently. So it also impacts men as well. Uh, and so I think that's some, that's an issue that we still haven't quite talked about, um, because there's a lot of shame around that. That's so because that's a, yeah, it's an intracommunal, it you is. know, um, issue. And, and it, and it also does transcend black communities, right? So it's a, yeah. it's an issue among, um, even non-black people of color Very as well. True. So I do want to name that and say that, but I think that's an issue that, we don't often um, grapple with or talk about, um, but I do think that's another thing that has to be put on the table uh, because we know the colorism, featureism, and texturism, those things, they all live in the same you know, wheelhouse. Texturism, yeah. discrimination about somebody's hair texture, right. uh, featureism, uh, discrimination based on somebody's features, right? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the standard, unfortunately, being European, right? right. Or how close one you know, one's features or right. skin tone um, or hair texture is close to European right. you know, textures and colors and, and whatnot. Um, so I think that's an issue, uh, yeah. a significant justice issue that impacts the livelihoods of, um, of black people on the whole, particularly black women. Right. Um, and it, it affects our marriage rates. It affects our money, mm-hmm. you know, um, the kind of jobs that we can get, right. uh, our em- employment. Can we even get the jobs? Our, um, our, um, uh, interface with the, uh, or, uh, yeah, or even our, um, yeah, and our interface with the uh, carceral system. Mm-hmm. So that's a significant issue that I think still has got to be addressed by, by the church, the black church. For sure. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's so interesting because I did not think you were going to say that. And I'm so glad that you did <laughs> yeah. because most people don't talk about that at all. At all. They don't. At all. They don't. Not at it's all. It's completely overlooked. It's it there. We know about colorism and we talk about colorism in yeah, terms yeah. of, you know, um, the world, right? Yeah, like everybody yeah. else, we're dealing with colorism, but we yeah. don't talk about it like in house. Mm-hmm, we don't have mm-hmm. a family conversation. We don't. We don't, but we need to. But we need to. We have to. Yeah. That's yeah. so good. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad. I'm so glad. You, I was like, yeah, I was like, colorism. <laughs> These are all. <laughs> That's what it is. Let's talk about that. Yes. <laughs> Speak on it. Yeah, it's a real issue. Yeah. You're right. You're right. <laughs> so, what does it look like? What does it look like for Black people? To rise up and flourish. Yeah, yeah. I, I think obviously people are going to give different answers, but for me, um, I have a very strong, you know, commitment to the flourishing <laughs> of uh, Black people globally. Yeah, you know, as a Pan Africanist, you know, and for me, I, it looks like us first and foremost loving ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, undoing, uprooting. Um, the internalized um, white supremacy, the internalized hatred, mm-hmm. the internalized denigration, you know, That's of right. ourselves um, so that we can see ourselves as God has made us black and beautiful. That's and right. then we can in turn love one another, yes. you know, from that place and to be able to see one another. That's right. um, and then I think by by being able to love one another and see one another and see that we are, in the words of Gwendolyn Brooks, each other's magnitude and bond, right. then I think that we can begin to re- repair um, the breaches in within our community right. um, and begin to restore this collectivism, mm. you know, this, this spirit of collectivism that we have always had <laughs> since time, you know, yeah. since our people were snatched from Africa, this, this predates the transatlantic slavery. Right. We come from a collectivist culture, right. you know, and I think that's something that we have got to... Um, 
return to. And yes. I've, seen a, I've seen a regression from that yeah. and it saddens me. And so for me, I'm like, if we can love ourselves and then if we can love ourselves, then we're able to see each other. Yeah. You know, and then we're able to see that we belong to one another. And then, you know, that collectivism and that love can heal us. Yeah. You know, and so that's my hope. <laughs> that's my prayer. That's what, to me, that's what it looks like to rise up and flourish. I love you that. Know, because love never dies. That's so good. Okay. So tell us, thank you so much for your time. Where can we find you? Where can everybody oh, yeah. find your work? Yes. Tell us all about you can find my work at Systematic Theology, S-I-S-T-A-M-A-T-I-C, theology.com uh, you can follow me on Instagram because that's the thing y'all be okay yes it's Instagram <laughs> at, at sister theology it's, uh, Twitter at sister underscore theology Facebook would be at sister theology as well I'm not on TikTok y'all it's okay I took a stand I was like you know what no more social media this is it this <laughs> I took a stand it's, it's just it's enough so, so that's where you can follow my work <laughs> Thank you for having me. Yes, sis. Thank you so much for using your voice, for taking a stand. Yeah, I took a stand. I was like, this is enough. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for joining us on this special edition of the Witness Podcast. We're thankful for your time. Thank you. Thank you.